Welcome to Career in Ruins, where this week I am Derek Pittman. Welcome to Career in Ruins, and we're back from the Christmas and New Year break with me, Lawrence Shaw, and this week. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Anna Romborgner because Dr. Yes. Derek Pittman is out the country in Athens again. Anna, <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome, Lawrence. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. I've known you, well, I've known you for quite a while now, but it's been a while since we've worked together. But mm-hmm. um, I wonder for those of listeners that don't know you, you could just give us a bit of a background about um, why we brought you in because we, we know you're great but let, 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 let us know why you're great <laughs> um, thank you thank you very much um, so I am a doctor of osteoarchaeology or paleopathology um, more specifically um, which means that I have studied bones for my PhD which was very exciting yeah um, and Any obviously particular bones uh, bones of non-adults so children essentially okay. so okay. what well, how up to the age of um you would say 18 but okay. obviously biologically it's quite difficult to determine whether somebody was you know 18 years old okay or, but yeah so just not a fully sort of like formed adult osteologically okay and from a particular time period or? uh yeah so my research was focusing on roman britain okay and it, just the whole of Britain? Uh, so I was looking at um, non-adult skeletons, so child skeletons from um, across Roman England. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was focusing on rural and urban settlements. Um, but because of, you know, preservation and, you know, issues with finding skeletons and access, etc., etc., it was focusing mainly on central and southern England. Okay, amazing. And so what, what sort of things were you finding with your um, So... Uh, Quite a lot of things. Yeah, Always <laughs> uh, Always yeah, yeah. So uh, it yielded some really good data. I thought so. I was quite surprised actually with um, how much um, information I got. Um, so I was looking at just under a thousand skeletons. Mm-hmm. So Blimey. quite a yeah, Thanks. good number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, obviously, it meant I did a lot of colouring in. <laughs> For, I'd, I'd say any decent PhD worth its salt has got um, colouring in it. Colouring in, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite therapeutic as well, you know. Which mindful. you need whilst yeah. doing a, a PhD, yeah. some might yeah. yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, and so um, I found quite a lot of children with tuberculosis, so um, lung infection, um, which um, can be fatal. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, that obviously means that people in Roman Britain were living in quite unsanitary and cramped living environments. And um, quite surprisingly, the children of the countryside were the ones who suffered more from nutritional deficiencies. So this kind of, you know, was rather unexpected because you would think that people living, you know, in the open fields Mm. and working on the farms would have access to plenty of, you know, good nutrition, fresh fruit and vegetables. Um, But it was actually this part of the population that was more malnourished than people Uh in the, you know, in the big towns. Yeah. Um, So that obviously would suggest that, you know, there was some kind of resource distribution going on that, you know, obviously wasn't very favourable to the people living in the countryside. Fair enough. Well, and so, so something like tuberculosis, how does that 
appear in the osseo record because um, you, you mentioned it's a lung infection but yeah. you know, the lungs don't survive for you to inspect yeah. from so at least quite char- uh, characteristic lesions in the skeleton so have you always been <laughs> your route to doing your phd mm-hmm. you did undergraduate masters yeah so quite the um you know, standard route in mm-hmm. a way. So I did my undergraduate and then did a master's. So I went into Bournemouth Uni, actually, on um, an open day. Back in 2006, this was. Okay. And I went through clearing and I got a space in, I think it was called Forensic and Crime Scene Science. Oh, wow. Yeah, so cool title for yeah, a course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I did that. And then straight after, in 2009, I did a master's in osteoarchaeology, again, Bournemouth, which was super. It was with um, Ellen Hambleton. Oh, yes. yeah. She's awesome. We're hoping to get her on the uh, podcast, but yeah. we haven't quite been able to pin her down just yet. Oh, yeah, but she's awesome. She's a legend. Yeah. 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 Mm. So that was great. And then I wanted to do a PhD and I had. Um, kind of a topic in mind and um, how it usually goes, you know, it's difficult to secure funding and, you know, kind of life happens as well. So it was two years until I managed to um, get funding for a PhD at Reading. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually interviewed the year before I started for a different PhD in Reading, which I didn't get. Um, But, you know, it led to me doing the project that I ended up doing, which was great. Um, So that was in 2012 I started and my supervisor was um, Mary Lewis. Okay. Um, Yeah, she's amazing. It was brilliant. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Worth uh, worth us stepping her up for an interview as well in the future? Oh, yeah, yeah okay. 100%. Um, and Hella Eckhart was my second supervisor. Um, so, it, you know, and it was just brilliant being at Reading, a small department, um, sort of just really upbeat. Everybody knows everyone. And, you know, as PhD students, it's so nice to know what the other PhD, PhD students are up to, you know, their projects, you know, yeah, yeah. socialising and just really good support network as well because, you know, it's kind of... Tough sometimes when you're doing it. Um, So, yeah, that was brilliant. And then after that, I worked on the Roman Rural Settlement Project and contributed to Volume 3. It's called Life and Death in the Countryside of Roman Britain. And that's that's currently up for an award, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Well, well, tell us a bit more about that. So, it's up for the uh, Current Archaeology Book of the Year Award. Nice. Which is, yeah, yeah. Nice. Super. Yeah, really excited about it. So, people can vote for that online. Oh, yes, they can. We endorse this here. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Thank you. So, we met. Um, I guess in between your masters and your PhD, mm-hmm. we, and you yeah. you were working initially on the big dig, which I was mm-hmm. so we were both sort of trench supervisors, or you're leading the osteo aspect of that. Yeah, I was in charge of the bones. Nice, yeah. the, the, <laughs> all, all bones or human bones? <laughs> human bones, okay. yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that was that was an Iron Age um, settlement, wasn't it, within mm-hmm. the banjo enclosure? Yeah. And when we were there, it's developed a lot since, and I believe they're back there this year. Wow. Um, but um, yeah, so you were some crazy human remains there, weren't there? People in pits and yes, yeah, yeah, lots yeah of it was fabulous. Interesting yeah. grave goods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we both worked for Professor Kate Wellham doing mm-hmm. looking the at year, impact research, weren't we? That was the year after, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Two thousand and ten, I think, mm-hmm. summer of two thousand and ten. That's right. Yeah, so you, yeah. I think you, that was around social media. Mm-hmm. Social um, media, seeing beneath Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, well, thank you for joining us today <laughs> and for sitting in for Derek, who's in Athens again. I don't yeah. know if he ever mentions he works in Athens. <laughs> <so>. Idiot. <laughs> um, but um, I don't 
Have you listened to any podcasts? Yes, I have. Correct answer. All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Better than Harry did when he was in here. I've listened to half an episode, yes. Um, no, all of them, all of all them. Of them Big fan. <laughs> you can come again. You can come again. Um, so we normally start off by picking up a few things that have um, caught our attention or that we've done over the last um, week, few few weeks, or something like that. So is there anything that's caught your attention last, last week? Uh, two things, actually. Yeah? So... Um, today, as I was driving down to Bournemouth, mm-hmm. I was driving through the New Forest. Nice, good place yeah, that. Yeah, very nice, very right. nice. Yeah. Um, I was listening to Radio 4 and on the news they were saying that in Chester, mm-hmm. part of a Roman wall had collapsed. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think it happened. I just had a quick look on the news um, after I got out of the car and I think it was due to some development work. Oh, dear. But no one was hurt. <laughs> except 2,000-year-olds <laughs> worth of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So except the archaeology which is a real shame oh dear. Yeah. Oh. but nothing else um, has been written yet so I couldn't read okay. hot off the press it. yes yes okay. very well, recent we'll be very sure current. to follow up with some social media mm-hmm. content mm-hmm. that's interesting isn't it I, I, more, more recently I've been picking up a lot more planning work in, in the national park mm-hmm. uh, as members of staff have either retired or moved on to other posts and um, it's, it's really tricky from the planning side of you, well, particularly if you're a very busy um uh, sort of local government department that's got a lot of stuff coming through and keeping on top of the work. So mm-hmm. it would be interesting to know what whether there's a, where the mistake has fallen, whether it's the developer mm-hmm. or whatnot. But um, it's always we're always hard in this time and environment when development's yeah. being pushed and budgets are being cut. So it would be interesting to see how that one develops. Mm. What was your second one? Oh, the second one. So um, on Saturday night, I was watching TV at home, okay. as you do. Good yeah, Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. So, watching lovely, uh, The Masked Singer. <laughs> it's a lovely night in. So um, uh, on Channel 4, obviously, it was the first episode of The Bone Detective. Ah, yes. Yeah, I yeah. saw that advertised. I, I've, actually, no, I, I did see some of the first episode as well. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. What did you think? Uh, I liked it. I thought it was cool. Um Obviously, all female team, mm-hmm. which is uh, super. Yeah. Um, and then I just quite liked the storytelling of the whole episode. I thought was quite nice. Um, but you know, naturally, as it happens with these programs, um, it's always kind of the you know really unusual cases that get televised. Yeah. Um, in terms of the osteoarchaeology, and it was really really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I thought it was good. I thought it was well made, and it was interesting, and it. Also, you know, it appealed to me as an osteoarchaeologist and um, it also appealed to my husband, who's not. Okay, so he, 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 he got into it. Yeah, so yeah. This, this episode was, it was a Bronze Age mm-hmm. burial, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, on the Isle of Thanet. Yeah. Um, and it was, um, you know, a sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, it is believed. Um, and Where someone got hit on the back of the head. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think it was a lady, um, an older lady, um, who was interred with four other female skeletons, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's very unusual. Yeah. Very ritualistic. And what was the conclusion? At the risk of doing a spoiler, but by the time this goes out, there'll be another episode. <laughs> so if you haven't watched it by now, then mm. more for you. Or skip on five seconds. But yeah, yeah, what was the conclusion? So it was a sacrifice, okay. yeah. And I think it was all um, centred around, um, you know, the bronze, the bronze Age being a period of transition. And obviously Thanet looked different then than mm-hmm. it does now mm-hmm. um, and it would have obviously been a trade route you know for ships coming around kind of the edge of Britain sort okay. of thing yeah. um, and whether it was a call to you know the spirits 
during a time of transition and perhaps, you know, things weren't going so well for oh, the society okay. that was living there at the time. Because they had Jackie McKinley in there as well, yes, didn't they? Yeah. An amazing osteo, osteoarchaeologist. Right yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that was good, I'd agree. Yeah, worth cool. a watch. And they've got a few more episodes, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was also um, the Channel 5 programme, what's it called? Not Digging for Britain, but the Channel 5 alternative. I know which one you mean, but I can't um, think of the... Britain's Lost Past or something like that. I'm going to yeah, say generic yeah. words and hope that's the right <laughs> one. But, um, that started on Channel 5 the night before. And then it's Rakshar Dave who's in both of those um, uh, series. Yep. So worth checking out that as well. Mm-hmm. A series of different interesting excavations mm-hmm. over the summer. Mm. Yeah, good time for archaeology TV. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. It's getting more popular, isn't it? Mm. I find. Yeah, for yeah. a time of hiatus. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I'd agree. Which is lovely. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they're both great additions to things that have caught your attention this, this week. So thank you for reading thank those. Um, there's a couple of things that caught my eye as well mm-hmm. this week. So um, first of all, I had a, I'm going to gloat a bit, and I had a great <laughs> week long holiday in Orkney. Um, over New Year's. Oh, nice. It was so good. And yeah. I um, I was very fortunate. Jane Downs, who was one of the previous um, uh, interviewees of, mm-hmm. of the podcast, lent, lent me her car and I went, ah. went exploring around the um, the mainland and yeah. uh, tried the whiskey distilleries and tried the gin distilleries. And um, Did you um, did you drive all the way up there? No, oh, no. You just I said flew over, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's a uh, <laughs> From the furthest point in, 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 in the mainland, no. Um, no, we flew up. Can you cut this out? No, no, this is great. <laughs> we flew Especially up. after you just said that you borrowed a car. That's oh. <laughs> great. This is gold. This is gold. Um, yes, try all the great places to try some drinks. But mm. um, experience something called The Bar. I don't know if you've heard of that before. No. So this is... this predates written records and it's poss- it's suggested that it, it's the precursor to football or okay. um, maybe oh, rugby yeah. but it's you've got the uppies and the doonies <laughs> <and> they've got, <laughs> effectively got some medicine and ball and they throw it from the the ancient cross at the cathedral and the uppies have to get the ball up to a small church maybe 700 metres up the road right. and the doonies have got to get um, the ball into the harbour, which is okay. about 700 metres down the what other What are road. the rules? There are no rules. <laughs> there are no rules. It's amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> when, I, when I arrived, I've got to be honest, I sort of go off the coach and I look around and this place is a bit of a dive. There's just like barriers across all the windows. Like, what, what, sort of, what sort of place Do people is this? have to secure yeah, their... Yeah. Oh, okay. So they, once they throw this medicine ball, it goes into a scrum of about 100 men, full-grown mm. men. And they <laughs> then just rugby push it around all over the place. There's crazy tactics. Um, okay. One team, the up... So the Doonies focus on move pushing the ball because they've got more numbers. There's more doonies than there are uppies. Right. So their tactics are push, push, push and get the, get the scrum down into the okay. harbour. The uppies, because there are a few of them, they've got crazy tactics and previous years they've just got in a car and driven off with it and touched like real cheating <laughs> tactics. But there are no rules, so it's not cheating. They're okay. Not very sportsmanlike. Um, no. But then other other times, they, they every now and again they'd shout mayhem and the whole scrum would dis- like break into three and no one knew where the ball was, and then they'd run off down the road. Three people would run off, and no one knew how, who had it. Okay, that was brilliant. Six hours of my life. And it, it, <laughs> well spent. Time. Well spent. Yeah. But on, in addition to that, obviously, there's some amazing archaeology up in Orkney, yes. from Neolithic villages um, to like Scarra Bray and the Stones Stennis, Maze Howe, the massive mm, mortuary tomb, and then all the Viking stuff as well. It, yeah. Just brilliant. And then 
whiskey just to top it off. <laughs> that was great holiday. Um, but the other thing that's caught my attention is, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've seen on any of the Twitter or social media, there's something running at the moment called hashtag archaeology31. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm not very good with social media. So it's set up um, with the idea that archaeologists share a different image mm-hmm. for every day of January because we're in Ooh, a leap year. Okay. Um, yeah. um, and I think, and t- forgive me if I've got this wrong, but I think it was set up by a lady called Kim Biddulf, B I D D U L P H. Okay. It's, um, the idea of it is that people share a photo for every day um, mm-hmm. in over January, um, but each day's got a different theme. So okay. um, it, you've, day one is who, are, who am I, day four is place, day 11 is selfie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Um, but um, there's loads of, I mean, 22 is cathedral, uh, no, no, it's not cathedral, community, mm-hmm. um, uh, 26 communication, and it's all for the archaeologists to come up with a their own interpretation of that. Very nice, thing. yeah. And, and it's brilliant, and it, it's just great. So anyone that's like not an archaeologist, or even if you are an archaeologist, if you want to see what different people are doing, if you go on Twitter and put in the hashtag um, archaeology31, mm-hmm. you just see such an amazing variety of different things from so many different specialists. And we're always saying archaeology is such a broad church. Yeah. But if you want an idea of how broad that church is and <laughs> also how people interpret different words, just a simple word like ritual. Um, Ooh, which, I bet you get some good Yeah, good exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and But some really obscure ones like lines, like day, oh, okay. day 14 is lines or mm-hmm. uh, day 15, Hillforts Wednesday. Classic. Okay, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so brilliant little initiative, and for whether you're long in the tooth archaeologist or a, a, a spectator or an early careers or a student, mm-hmm. well worth checking it out. And we're only halfway through the month, so plenty more to be found. On yeah, that. I might get Twitter after all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Um, so that's what's on our mind. We're now mm-hmm. moving on to this. assessment no I, um, I like it I, I think it's good I especially yeah yeah I think it's good trying, between me and Guy we put a lot of effort into yeah, sound yeah. guy guy who's a sound guy <laughs> put loads of effort into that no I like it it's quite catchy isn't it <laughs> yeah that sort of thing you could repeat yeah but anyway <laughs> enough about that amazing theme tune um, you've uh, you Presumably, because you've listened to every episode. Yes. You, you know what's coming. And I, I did to give you an advance warning. So we've mm-hmm. got two Monu Trumps each. Yep. Um, and as a visiting co-host, would you? I, I'd love you to go May first. May I go first? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So 
oh, this was this was tough. Right. Yeah, real tough. Um, and yeah, so the first one, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, well, there's a little bit of a backstory. Or, well, the backstory is I have a dog. <laughs> All the best people have dogs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously he's my best friend. So uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time with him. So I wanted to do something related to a dog. Mm-hmm. And um, so I came across this um, hidden pet cemetery in Hyde Park. What? Yeah. I'm thinking, what's that film? Pet is cemetery. It, <laughs> is it in that film? <laughs> no. Have okay. you seen that? No, I okay, haven't. You carry on. No, <laughs> I haven't. I'm digressing. Okay, good. So let me tell you about this one. It's called Hyde Park um, Secret Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. and it's just off Bayswater Road. Mm-hmm. It was opened in 1881 um, by accident. Right. What's on? It's like, what am I going to do with my cat? Dig them out, shove it there, it'll be fine. Um, and it closed in 1903, and it houses mainly dogs. Mainly dogs? Yeah. Aww. So, um, you know, there's, um, I think there's one cat, three small monkeys, and, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and some small birds. No, this is amazing. So do they have headstones? Yes, yes, yes. So Whoa. They, uh, it says here, marble tombstones. Is that how I pronounce it? Tomb or tome? Tomb. Yeah, tomb. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you. Uh, with loving and personal messages and inscriptions. No. So, you know, it's a lovely window into the past and how the Victorian Britons actually, you know, interacted with their pet dogs. And here lies Chimpy McChimpface. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really, yeah, so really, really sweet. Oh. And um, it's got about 300 graves. And it's in uh, the back of Victoria Lodge. Um, and this is also how it got opened by accident because the uh, I think the gatekeeper lived at Victoria Lodge. Right. And he knew this family that walked their dog in Hyde Park. And um, when the dog passed away, the family asked if they could bury him, you know, in the back garden of the lodge because mm-hmm. that's where he liked it so much. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, loads of other sort of fashionable and affluent Victorians buried their their dog's there. Oh, that's yeah. a brilliant one, you Trump. I know. Oh. I'm glad you like it. It makes me feel a bit sad, but obviously... Yeah, but also, as you say, we, I, I mean, it's a really nice... Our creation with animals goes yeah. on, goes back hundreds, thousands of years, doesn't it? But yeah, and I think to see something like that, a snapshot in time and how, you know, and, you know, that people had their companions back then and, you know, that they sort of had similar... You know, loving relationship with their pets that we do now is really nice. I thought that's good. Okay, well, I, I think you've got me on this one, but I, we'll, <laughs> I'll see if I can get you on this one. But so, my, I've got to confess, both of my money trumps are absolutely plagiarised <laughs> through okay. hashtag archaeology thirty one. Oh, so, following yeah. that fantastic hashtag, um, I came across a chap called Howard Benge, B E N G E. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I apologise, Howard, if I. Mispronounce that. Benj. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah. But um, uh, he's put up loads of great sites that are basically all of them are monu trumps. But <laughs> I picked two of my favourites. So was it, it really hard? It was really it down. difficult, and I, I've yeah. deliberately switched these around because I'm hoping I might win the next round with you. <laughs> <laughs> but the one I'm going to come back at you with that one is um, Six Hills. Oh, okay. No, never heard. No. Yeah, Six Hills. Um, and these are a collection of Roman barrows Ooh, uh, yeah. situated alongside the old Great North Road. 
on mm-hmm. Six Hills Common in Stevenage. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are scheduled ancient monuments, but they're effectively giant big mounds that mm-hmm. people drive past and feel carriageway <laughs> every day. Yeah. But they're actually the largest surviving Roman burial group in England. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So burial mounds. And they're they're yep. huge. They're, it's well worth a look out, like a Google, if not a visit. Okay. As, as we say That's on. very uh, interesting. Surprising, actually, that they're mounds, because yeah. obviously... Romans were fans of, you know, inhumation no. or cremation. You know, yeah, yeah. Nice standard cymmetry. Yeah. So these... Standardised layout and everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, really odd. Like, stuff, they stick out like a sore thumb. You, uh-huh. People probably drive past them every day without even batting an eyelid right, at them. Yeah. Right. In terms of access, really good. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's got the motorway next to it. Yeah. Or dual carriageway. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh, do you know what? Access for mine. Yeah. We got awful. Oh no! Yeah, so it's not open to the general public. Oh, but hang on a minute. But you can arrange for a special one-hour viewing with up to five guests. So <laughs> oh wow, that makes that's yeah, as so, long as it's accessible in some shape. Or yeah, form, yeah. Right? But yeah, I was gutted about that when I read that. Oh, that, yeah. We sh- yeah we should arrange a uh, career and ruins Easter visit to uh, mm-hmm, we'll get all yeah. Harry and Derek. You and I and Sound Guy Guy. <laughs> yeah. Sound Guy. And, uh, a nice day out. Yeah, that's yeah. up to five, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But I, I liked yours. It's good. Thank you. Um, it, what local legend holds that they, um, they were the work of the devil. So, oh, you know, okay. But yeah. I don't think that's quite true. Mm. But yeah, near an old Roman road, um, thought to date from around 100 AD. Um, and just, I, I, as you say, the thing that caught my attention with them, I'm not used to Roman burial mounds. Not at all. So, um, yeah, you'd normally have, you say, cemeteries or cremations. Yeah. Um, but uh, as I can see, there's no known excavations of the site from my research. No, okay. There's every possibility that I haven't done good enough research. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but so there's there's an assumption there must have been some form of excavation to inform the dating. Yes. Um, um, so there's some damage in, from 1750, so perhaps that, that's what's caused the mm-hmm. the insight, and I guess associated finds from the dual carriageway. But, yep. But um, yeah, I thought they were quite nice. Just, just these weird little mounds. You might think they're Bronze Age, but actually, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Mm, and they're all really close to each other. Okay. But I'm going to give you the win on that one. Oh, that's kind. That is pretty cool. Thank I, I've you. got Ringo. I got Ringo, my dog. Derek's got, <laughs> yeah. Derek's got his chickens. Yeah, we all we all like Aww, a pet. So uh, yeah. yeah. Go on then, number two. Okay, number two. Um, living in Gloucestershire, obviously a big fan of walking, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you've, I'm sure you've been to the Cotswolds, Gloucestershire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. lovely. Lovely, no? yeah. yeah. Lots really of stone. Nice. Yeah, lots of stone, um, lots of ancient sites, um, lots of hills, lots of um, cool things to look at. Um, but again, I've succumbed to um, the... Uh, allure of a Victorian site. Um, this one's called Woodchester Mansion um, and it's an unfinished Victorian mansion. Nice. Um, very flamboyant in Ooh. detail. You know, it's got gargoyles and everything. Oh. So it's this grand, yeah, mansion that is um, situated at the bottom of this valley that, and it was just never finished. So when you see it, you know, it's again just, you know, this window into the past nice. that I really liked. Um its intended use was also unclear, so you know to this day nobody really knows why it was built and what for. Right. Um, and after it was abandoned, um, it was led to a local farmer who kept cows in the dining room. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Time for tea, chat. 
So I thought that was quite cool. Um, and it is situated south of Stroud. So I don't know. Um, if, well, Stroud's kind of like in the middle of nowhere a little yeah, bit. So. Okay. Yeah, and it's on a B road. <laughs> So yeah, access is yeah. yeah. Worth, worth I quite like this idea of um, hidden heritage. So yes, yeah, it's very hidden. Accessibility isn't the be all and end all of money yeah. trumps. Okay. Yeah, little hidden gems oh, like this you. is a good yeah. shout. Yeah. So basically, you come off this road and then you drive down to uh, the National Trust car park mm -hmm. and then you walk down this valley, which in the summer is amazing. Uh, you know, it's just so green and mm -hmm. beautiful um, and lush. And you walk down and um, you don't see anything for ages. And then you come around this bend and then there's this uh, massive mansion and they've got a lovely cafe there so if you visit in the summer <laughs> okay. good. this is good i mean I, I, you're selling your location a lot better than where i'm going to go really? so my, <laughs> okay. mine's stolen from howard again no i apologize howard, okay. but you're just too good at these ones yeah, yeah. but I'll, I'll raise you a lovely valley with a tea shop and a beautiful mm -hmm. greens there and i'll take you to a um light industrial estate Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. In uh, a light industrial state in Harlow. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, I don't know whether the Cotswolds can keep up with this. Well, yes. I feel bad good. that I am going to win this one, but uh, you know, beautiful countryside mm -hmm. versus Harlow. Mm -hmm. But um, no, uh, this is a amazing little temple that's just hidden away in the in industrial temp. Uh, and industrial site in Harlow. Um, it's a Roman temple, okay, mm -hmm. so I've stuck to a bit of a theme here. Um, it is known as Harlow Temple Temple Site. Okay, keeps mm -hmm. it simple, clues mm -hmm. in the name. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's thought to be dedicated to uh, Minerva. Oh, so okay. Which, as I believe it, and I could be wrong here, but I think that's to do with water. So Sulis mm -hmm. Minerva is the the water. Um, God or goddess. Goddess, if you will. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, timeline is around about. Um, well, there was a Celtic temple mm -hmm. um, uh, in 200 BC, and then a Roman temple around 80 AD, um, and then there's there's a few series of different rebuilding and destruction. Um, and there was Saxon buildings, but there was a Bronze Age pond, uh, pond barrow, sorry, on the site as well. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and then Mesolithic encampment. So, Very nice. So lots going yeah, on. Yeah, something all the way back as five thousand BC, mm -hmm. and then through to um, what, what's the latest? I guess I say we got a bit of Saxon, uh, and the site was abandoned really in six hundred AD. So okay. from five thousand all the way to six hundred. And good, if you yeah. go today, it's um, it's 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 amazing because really. <laughs> you're just wandering around this little uh, industrial estate, and then uh, you've got like just the steps then, of the temple, bam, okay, overgrown wow. weeds everywhere, <laughs> exactly as you'd expect to see. And the only thing that's missing are maybe a few like burnt out tires or something. <laughs> but and there's this amazing little Roman temple in the middle of it. So, Brilliant. Yeah, I, I quite like this site as a sort of again yeah. the theme. I think maybe this week's theme is about hidden heritage rather than yeah. accessible heritage. <laughs> I really like yours. Oh, should we call it a draw? Yeah. But I haven't given you all the details about oh, sorry. Um, I just imagined it. Go, go, no, go. no. Um, Is this uh, going to be the kicker? No, not really. Um, <laughs> but you kind of get two in one when you go to Woodchester Mansion. Oh, here we because go. Nymphsfield Long Barrow is almost opposite. <gasps> so when you park up, you can also go to Nymphsfield Barrow, which is a Neolithic um, burial mound. And... Um, 
It was, you know, it um, had some skeletons in it, nice, so yeah. uh, quite cool. Um, is it extant so you can go inside? Yeah, you can go inside. Wow. You can have a look around. Most of them have been flattened, yeah. haven't they? Just little crop marks. No, like you can that. actually wow. go in and uh, have a little wander around, which is quite cool. Um, it avoided damage during the medieval period because the locals believed that it used to be a leper hospital. Ah. Yeah, so a little bit of a, you know, myth surrounding it as well, which is quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think yours is better. No, actually. Do you know what? Derek and I always call a draw, but I think <laughs> as a visiting co-host and the fact that both of yours are brilliant, oh, we're gonna, you're the first official winner of Money okay. Trumps. Oh, wow. So congratulations. Yeah. There, awesome. there is no prize. Okay. <laughs> anyway, let's go on with the normal um, Career Marines podcast. So this week I talked to Mark Bowden, who is the senior investigator managing assessment the assessment team uh, West for Historic England. Mm-hmm. And he's a brilliant guy, fascinating um fascinating background and I think if we just jump in the interview we can have a chat halfway through definitely cool can't wait Mark welcome to Career in Ruins Um, pleasure to have have you along Um, thanks very much we're sat here um, at the Red Lion in Wimborne uh, Wimborne? Wareham Wareham, one of the W's yes I'm getting all my local W's mixed up (laughs) Not, not that I've had too many beers as yet, but um, but um, it's by pure good fortune that you're here in the area mm. doing a bit of um, survey work. Yes. Um, but it's great to have you along. And I wonder if you could we could start off by, normally we ask participants to tell us a bit about how they got to their career where they are to date. So yeah. a bit about what got them interested in the subject and mm. a bit of their career trajectory. So that would be great if you could, mm. could hit us with that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I suppose I was always had an interest in the past and in um, monuments and, and things. I remember, you know, as quite a young child exploring ruined castles in Wales on family holidays and that sort of thing, reading historical novels when I was a bit older. Okay. And, Which um, sort of novels? Oh, well, all sorts, really. Rosemary Sutcliffe. And um, there, was, there was a writer called Ronald Welch right. who was very popular um, when I was a youngster. Um, he wrote um, novels about all kinds of different periods of history, um, which I was sort of found fascinating. Um, and then I was also, I was kind of aware of archaeology as an activity from quite a young age, I think. I have a vague memory of seeing an archaeological excavation somewhere. Um, it could have been Winchester, but I'm not absolutely sure. Um, and and being thinking oh, that's really interesting but also that it looked really complicated mm-hmm. and all oh, the people who do that must be really clever <laughs> <laughs> little did you know little did i know <laughs> they're not but no um <laughs> but uh, yeah so that was uh, that was um yeah so it's something that kind of always been with me right throughout my life really and then i actually went on an archaeological excavation when i was uh, 17. okay um, Whereabouts in York, that? York, yeah, okay. Bishop Hill for okay. the York Archaeological Trust. Nice. It was great. It was what two, sort of just two, two, two weeks digging on. Um, well, I didn't know much about it at the time. It was there were certainly early medieval remains mm-hmm. there. Um, it was, um, oh, gosh, I, I, the thing I remember is there was some very well preserved wicker work okay. on site. There was a sort of um, or was it a well, I think, which had some really well-preserved 
organic material in, nice. which of course is really amazing. But I don't think at the time I realised yeah. quite how amazing yeah. it was. Where's the gold? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was a bit like that. So, I, but anyway, I really enjoyed that, and I well, I probably enjoyed the social life as mm -hmm. much as the actual digging. But you know, that was fair enough. Mm -hmm. So that was that was good. And then I did a couple of um, more local excavations down in Kent, where I lived then, um, just a day here and there. Which was also quite interesting, but it never it never actually occurred to me that I might, you know, do archaeology either as a university subject or as a career. I mean, that that, that sort of developed much it later. Crept up on you. It did really, because I was going to go to Reading University to read medieval history. Okay. And then the summer before I went, something happened, and I suddenly thought, oh. Well, perhaps I could do archaeology. And I didn't even know whether Reading University had an archaeology department or not. So I looked it up and, oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, so It's kind of all right. It, yeah, it was lucky, <laughs> fortunate. And the other thing is that Reading have this really good system. Well, I, I think it's a really good system where in your, you take three subjects in your first year ah. and then you don't have to decide until the Easter of okay. your first year which one you're going to take which onto was, your degree yeah so when i arrived i said right oh, i'd like to do archaeology as one of my subjects and they said yes okay so Perfect. that's what i did and 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 then it didn't take me long to realize that that is really what i wanted to do um, mm -hmm. and the archaeology department at reading then was very small mm -hmm. but it was, I mean, you had, um, among the teaching staff, you had Bob Chapman, Mike Fulford, Richard Bradley. I okay. mean, it was just, it was fantastic department. Yeah. And I think it took me about two weeks to say, yeah, I'm going to, giving up history, I'm going to do archaeology. They did their jobs pretty well then. Yeah, well, yeah. they did, yeah. That's an inspiring in, in, bunch yeah, of people. Yeah, very, in, absolutely inspiring teachers. And, and also very supportive later on because... Um, even when I got, you know, so I did three years, got a reasonable degree, um, respectable degree. And um, I, but even then, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I had no idea. I didn't really think that I could make a career in archaeology because mm. I knew, you know, not many people do. Yeah. Um, but just before finals, Mike Fulford told me that he was starting new series of excavations at Silchester Amphitheatre and invited me to... Supervised one of the trenches. Uh -huh. So that was my start, really. So as soon as, you know, I'd graduated, I was down to Silchester excavating the amphitheatre. There are worse things which to was excavate. A good start. Well, exactly, <laughs> one of the best preserved Roman amphitheatres in the country. I mean, you don't ask for much better no. than that, really. How long were you, you that was just doing that for? That was just four weeks that okay. season, but I went back subsequent years. Um, Presumably uh, pretty... Complicated. Oh God, tell me about it. It was horrendous. I was a bit out of my depth, really. But Mike was really good. I mean, he was obviously he was very, you know, just brilliant excavator himself, mm. and he was kind of there was a lot of hand holding, I think, really. So mm. it was good. It was a really good experience. Um, and then while actually while I was doing that that first that first season, I got a message came through to me somehow that um, uh, they needed someone for the. Uh, there was a, f a six-month contract in Chichester for mm -hmm. the next autumn and winter to do some watching briefs on building sites. Um, and it, it was kind of put to me that if I, if I just turned up for the interview, I'd get the job. You know, Excellent. Because, you know, someone had put in a word for the me. The best kind of job yes, interview. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so that's what I did. So I spent the, that autumn and winter in Chichester. As is 
absolutely miserable. I no, hated it. No, no. I mean, watching brief on building sites over uh, winter, yeah, you know, and it enough. was just yeah, cold. But wet. I knew that, you know, exactly. But and I didn't really know anyone in Chichester. I knew one or two people down there, but they weren't actually there at the time. So I was kind of completely on my own for six months. It was pretty miserable. Mm. But I knew that, you know, that's what you have to do. Yeah. And um, so I sort of stuck it out. <laughs> and then I suppose over the, over the you know, subsequent years, I, I did what, what archaeologists did then and still do, I guess, you know, a bit of digging, a bit of post-excavation work, a bit of editing, a bit of museum work. And I have to say that actually, again, the, the support I got from people like Mike Fulford and particularly Richard Bradley, because mm -hmm. Richard is, is uh, not only an inspirational teacher, but he's amazing at supporting his former students and finding work for them, creating work for them in wow. many ways. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work I got was, was due to him. It's not the first time we've heard that as well. Right, yeah. no, well, mm. I'm, I'm not surprised, mm. actually. He's quite well known for it. <laughs> brilliant, mate. Brilliant man. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and um, so, yeah, so I, 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 was, I was kind of going on like that. And, um, but I, I kind of knew that I, I couldn't go, you know, you can't go on like that yeah. forever. Because I saw people like in their 40s who were still on the digging circuit and the condition they were in from the alcohol <laughs> and the drugs. And I thought, <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to end up like that. Yeah, you know? sensible decision. And uh, <laughs> so I, so I kind of promised myself that if, if, um, if I didn't have a, a, a sort of permanent job in archaeology, by the time I was 30, I was going to quit. And do okay. something else. But God knows what else I would have done, to be perfectly honest with you. I have absolutely no idea. So luckily, it didn't come to that. Um, because I got a, um, a job, a again, it was a temporary contract with the, with the Royal Commission on Historical Monuments. Okay. Um, they, were they were looking for two um, temporary assistants to help with there, they were working then on South Wiltshire. So it was, to, it was basically, it was to work on deserted and shrunken medieval villages in South Wiltshire. So I got one of those posts, luckily. Um, and uh, Dave McComish actually got the other one, who became, you know, a very good friend of mine subsequently. And um, funnily enough, we were, we, were, we were taken off the Wiltshire villages quite quickly because it was at that time that Jeff Wainwright was starting to put together the programme of work at Maiden Castle, mm -hmm. which culminated in Neil Sharples' excavations there. So we were, we were taken down to, sent down to Maiden Castle to survey that, you know. So talk about being thrown in at the deep end. So that, that's you know. the largest hill fort in Europe? It's, no, it's no. not. It's not even close, but it okay. is large hill fort. It is, it, no, it's not even the largest in Britain. No, it's no. The, what's the largest the, la the largest hill fort in England is Ham Hill. Okay. In by acreage. Okay. Maiden Castle is in the top ten. Okay. But it's oh, really not, only that. Yeah. So you can tell I'm a local. Yeah. Just, that is the largest. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not the largest, <laughs> but it is certainly one of the most impressive. Mm. Of course. So how was because um, th those ramparts are steep and deep. How was that? It was it was hard work, <laughs> and uh, Dave and I were were just beginners, you know. We, so, <laughs> but luckily we were working with some much more experienced people. We had um, Mark Corney, and, okay, yeah. and mm. Chris Dunn, mm -hmm. and we we were we did it with them, and it was it was and it took us six months. Wow. 
with the technology then available. You, you, you have, have to a understand laser scanner or no, LIGO. No, 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 no. <laughs> no we have, what we did have was the first generation EDM okay. electro distance magnet, electromagnetic distance measurement. Okay. Yeah. And that was a huge orange box which sat on top of a rather small theodolite and it was all very top heavy and nice. a bit crazy. And How, what was the range of it? Uh, the range of it was quite good actually. Okay. I mean, it could do, I mean, well, it could do the length of Maiden Castle okay, quite happily. Right, but uh, it, it was very fiddly to aim it because, of course, you weren't aiming it through the lens of the theodolite. You had to aim the theodolite and then <laughs> adjust this box on top. To, uh, it was. Yeah, I mean, it, at the time it was absolutely brilliant, but now you look at it and you think it was real Heath Robinson <laughs> contraption. Brilliant. But anyway, um, so yeah, so so that was that was a pretty amazing uh, experience, and led to you know lots of subsequent work that um, Dave and Dave McComish and I did on Hillforts um, mm -hmm. and so on. Um, but of course, at the end of that, uh, I think actually our yeah our six month contracts were extended for another six months, so that took up a whole year. But at the end of that, what happened was that they the Royal Commission offered two permanent posts. Right. And I made the cardinal error of being really scrappy about my application. Oh no! So I didn't get through the sift. Oh. Uh, Dave who's much cleverer than I am, um, did his application properly and got one of the posts. Right. And I think the other, I think Donnie Mackay got the other one, who I subsequently came to know. But anyway, so I was out on my ear again at the end of that. And um, uh, back to various other bits and bobs of work. Um, but then the Royal Commission, amazing to think now in the current climate, of decline and cuts and everything. But in those days, this was in the mid 1980s, Royal Commission was actually expanding and taking on new staff. Right. And they advertised for three more posts. Um, and this time I learned the lesson. I filled <laughs> in the application Got a properly. Got copy of uh, the successful and, application. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> and, uh, and so this time I got, you know, I was, yeah, got an interview and a field test and, um, and I, I got through and, uh, and the Royal Commission had just opened three new offices in Exeter, Keele and Newcastle right. to look at Highland Zone specifically. So they sent me up to Newcastle. Nice. Very nice. Nice. Twelve nice. years I was up there. Twelve years. Absolute bliss. I tell you, you, I loved it. Get up to the, the wall? Yes. Working along Hadrian's Wall, up into the Cheviot Hills, Yorkshire Dales, oh. Lake District. Yeah? Yeah. And of course, this was at a time, sort of late 80s, early 90s, industrial archaeology was just really getting respectable. Okay. <laughs> and we were doing a lot of really interesting industrial stuff. And by stuff, was this survey work predominantly? Yeah, mm. yeah. so mm. surveying industrial sites and landscapes, uh, things like um, Coniston Copper Mines. Wow. Uh, Greenside lead mines, Seathwaite, just, just graphite sites. mines, just little, <laughs> little mountainous <laughs> sites. And uh, culminating in the study of the iron industry in Furness and Southern Lakeland. Wow. Which is a, which is a fantastic project. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was good. And mm. then, um, unfortunately, the Newcastle office was closed in about 1998, I think, and then, um, but then I, I moved down to Swindon 
take over the field section there. And, as, uh, what was English Heritage? Then, two years later, we merged with English Heritage. Okay, I see. So you stayed within the Royal Commission? Yeah, it was Royal Commission initially, and then, mm -hmm. and then be became English Heritage. And carried on, I mean, the, you know, the, 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 uh, and now, it, of course, we're Historic England. So the title of the organisation keeps changing and the job title keeps changing, but actually the job is still the same, oh. more or less. So I'm still, I'm still doing um, pretty much the same sort of job, but and th that is that survey on on a whole different levels, or is it map based, like level four survey? Yeah, or? well, level we level three. We we did talk about level four at one time, but we kind of abandoned it and, and went back to talking about three levels of survey. So yeah, level one is the map mm -hmm. map scale, um, uh, quick rapid survey. Level two's landscape survey at a slightly larger scale and then level three is the really detailed one to a thousand one to five hundred stuff so analytical survey of earthwork sites and landscape analysis of uh, archaeological sites in their landscape setting so looking at settlement patterns road patterns field patterns mm -hmm. hedgerows woodland management you know any anything and everything mm -hmm. about the historic environment. And some of the most beautiful drawings within your team <laughs> in general, in yeah, terms of hasher yeah, yeah. drawings. Yeah, we, we're quite, we're quite keen on, on, on our hashering, um, although it's electronic now, mm. not hand-drawn anymore. <laughs> don't, don't give away your secrets. Well, <laughs> I'm afraid it's, you know, uh, technology has taken over, and of course it's been brilliant actually, because the advances in survey technology have transformed the job in many ways mm. so um you know we're using um very much more sophisticated edms now uh, total station through the lens integrated edms with the odd lights but much more now um gps gnss satellite surveying mm -hmm. which is just Amazing, yeah. actually. The technology is fantastic. But still, the really important thing is the observation and the interpretation, because unless you can observe the earthworks properly, you don't know what you're surveying. And that ability to observe them and be able to see what's actually there as opposed to what might be there or what you mm. think's there, um, is that something you've built up over time yeah. or is it something you've been trained in by particular individuals? You, well, yes, a bit of both, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, there's been training from individuals. I mean, I, I learned a, a huge amount from people. That I, when I first joined the Royal Commission in Newcastle, um, the old Ordnance Survey Archaeology Division had just been closed down and their surveyors had come and joined the Royal Commission. Oh, so okay. I had the benefit of being trained by both by sort of traditional Royal Commission people mm -hmm and by Ordnance Survey guys. And the Ordnance Survey guys were amazing because they were good archaeologists, but they were also absolutely at the top of the game as far as the surveying was concerned. Right. So they knew all the tricks of the trade. And I, yeah, I learned a huge amount from the, in particular, there was, there was a guy um, who's still a really good friend of mine, Keith Blood, who uh, was not only an absolutely first-class surveyor, but a really good teacher, as okay. it happens. And I just learned a lot from him. Um, yeah, fantastic. And, but it is something you just go on through your career. The more you do, the better you get at it. And it, it's about seeing different types of landscapes. I mean, so I was working up in the north of England 
at that time and then coming back down to the south of England, completely different landscapes. Right. But you you know, that's that's all that's how you, you learn and you mm. progress. And you never stop. I'm still learning. Because the site I was looking at today is on a bit of Dorset Heathland that I'd never seen before. And it's a it's just a completely different type of landscape. It's very difficult actually even to work out what is natural and what's man-made. Mm. Um, quite extraordinary. But by the end of today, I was just about. Just I was just about to yeah. see it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for giving us that quick overview. Let's just say, so your current position or your current job title is? Uh, current job title is Senior Archaeological Investigator and Team Manager, South and West. So I'm part of the policy and evidence team in okay. uh, in historic England. Okay. Yeah. Well, nice. There we go. That's the first half of the interview done, and I think it's fair to say, as with all our interviewees so far, he's been he's he's a fascinating chap, and mm-hmm. he's got a very varied. Uh, yeah, wow. Past and work experience and whatnot. But I, I, I always love it when someone gets a taste of their career, their future career, um, when they went when they go on an excavation. And Mark was mm-hmm. saying he went on an ex, his, his first excavation and sort of wasn't that interested by waterlogged <laughs> surviving wood. But um, <laughs> on reflection, yeah, it's great. But it clearly had an impact. Can you remember what your first excavation was that you went on? Um, my very first one was actually the big dig. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So in 2010, yeah. was it? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, when I was a fully grown adult, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, something like that is, it, it does have such a big impact on, on your appreciation for the subject, doesn't it? You, it does, yeah. It's so varied and, and sort of, from survey to excavations to finds to human remains, um, it has quite a lasting impact. So I can see how that shaped Mark's future going mm-hmm, forwards. Mm-hmm. But I also find it um, comforting almost mm-hmm. when somebody develops an interest in archaeology in childhood and then it becomes their career. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as a child, we all have our dreams and hopes, don't we, for the future? Yeah. And it's really nice to hear that you know yeah but i guess but he did he still he was never really sure was he mm, even mm. when he got his degree it's always a level of uncertainty yeah, yeah. and he wasn't sure if the digging was going to work out and mm-hmm. he was close to packing it in and he never really like it, he sort of followed it but it, it, which is lovely as you say but yeah it what i find quite comforting <laughs> from that is that it wasn't until later on in his life and his career that he really nailed down exactly what he's going to do yeah and he he was unfortunate enough to perhaps not be organised enough to get a decent application <laughs> in or get through that, that Yeah, so honest. Yeah, which is refreshing. So honest. But also yeah. as an early careers professional, it's quite reassuring to know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got opportunities to mess up and there's other opportunities. Might. Obviously, I'm not endorsing doing things half-heartedly, but it's nice to know that Mark Mark tried hard and he, yep. he t- took another uh, bite at the uh, cake or whatever the uh, official... Mm-hmm. terminology is but then it paid off and um he talks a lot about getting support from yes. his faculty because yeah. a fellow reading graduate like yourself mm-hmm. did you know any of those are they any of those people still still there yeah yeah so um just i think it was in the final year of my phd um i did a little bit of work with richard bradley okay um Legend. fascinating yeah. career yeah. you know 
absolutely just awe-inspiring everything that he's done so so interesting and, and such a nice person as well okay. um and then obviously um I worked with Mike on the Roman Rural Settlement Project ah, after my PhD. Mike Fulford, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mike Fulford, absolute legend. Is he? Well, he, he's fascinating. He, he actually did his PhD on the Roman pottery kilns in the New Forest. Mm-hmm. So oh. he wrote the book about... The book. Yeah, the yeah. book. But yeah, so I know a lot of his work and I've only met him a couple of times, but mm-hmm. as you say, he seems like he's a lovely chap. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so supportive. I, I mean, support's really an interesting point of our profession because Mm -hmm. I think certainly I've benefited massively from support from Mm -hmm. previous bosses or managers or senior members of staff and Mark talks about how he had a lot of support and um, Richard Bradley was great at promoting him and helping him to find work but I think Mm -hmm. there's an element of people identifying people that are worth supporting and Mark clearly is 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 a brilliant at what he does and he, he he was worth that investment and he would have been seen as worth that investment uh, I think it's one of the the best things that I can reckon a bit of advice I can give to prospective students or mm-hmm. early careers people that get stuck in offer up be engaged like ask yes. questions yeah yeah um, also just you know be seen be be there you know if you're the person who's there if you're the person who who's involved who seeks out conversations yeah then, yeah that that's the way forward really isn't it yeah i think so and i mean mark mark talks about that and how everyone at win um not Winchester, Reading, mm. um, were so supportive. And, and yeah, incredibly supportive department all round. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so I completely agree with what he was saying about Mike and, and Richard. And unfortunately, I've never worked with Bob Chapman, so um, I haven't met no, him um, during my I've time heard, there. I've heard but good things. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, fantastic. Imagine getting to dig an amphitheatre. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, hit my head. <laughs> So excited! Uh, I hit my head on the telly. Yeah, um, yeah. Wow. Well, how would you imagine your first day? <laughs> I, I can imagine me in the first day. Going, Hello, everyone. Oh. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I can certainly imagine that it was quite overwhelming. Mm, mm, but yeah, I bet just incredible, mm, incredible, mm. and some good people again to yeah. help you through that work. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I can I ask you what a theodolite is? Yeah. Okay, Lawrence. Can I ask you what a theodolite is? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a theodolite, Anna. <laughs> it's an instrument for measuring uh, angles and horizons, um, or angles in the horizontal or vertical planes. Mm-hmm. So it's effectively, effectively a mapping tool. Okay. Um, but it, it can be used in so many different areas from meteorology, meteorology. Yeah, um, that's difficult to say. Well, right? <laughs> to the launching, um, to sort of rocket launching technology. Okay. Ooh, wow. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but we as archaeologists use it to for mapping and detailed mm-hmm. mapping. So. Okay. It can be accurate within centimetres um, of 3D points, both on mm-hmm. height or elevation and eastings and northings. Okay. Uh, the, um, and Mark will have been using it to meet, make these most beautiful, um, detailed um, topographic plans of archaeological uh-huh. sites, such as Maiden Castle. I don't know. Yeah. Maiden Castle, you heard of that before? Heard of Maiden Castle? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the largest uh, hall fort in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Was yeah. it in the, not even in the top ten at all? I think it's just about the top ten. I don't think. <laughs> you were fine. It's one of those things where you yeah. say something with so much conviction and then they go, oh, yeah. Nah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, going back to theodolite. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of, it looks a bit like a telescope and it's all, it can move around all over the place. And okay. You might have someone that's got a staff, a staff that's walking around okay. and looking Super. at the break of slope and the bottom of... Okay. Uh, ditches and yeah. things. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Because uh, obviously, you know, with me kind of specialising in paleopathologies, you know, it just highlights how varied archaeology yeah. is. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. No, it's good. And so Mark, Mark, as you, you can tell from his voice, he loves what he does, but he specialises in this this survey, whether it's landscape mm, or whether it's detailed yeah. topographic surveys. So, yeah, I, I, that would be a regular tool in his trade as yeah. opposed to perhaps a osteologist <laughs> we'll let you off on that you're one. part of the toolkit yeah, <laughs> yeah. should we uh, listen to the other half yeah so our next question in the podcast is um it's reflective on a piece of work that you're particularly proud of or something that you've been involved in that you can look back and just think, yeah, that was really good or that was awesome. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about you. It can be about the project or the team or the final okay. output. So, um, Okay. Well, mm. it's, it's, that's quite a tricky question because there's quite a few projects that I've been involved with and pieces of work that I've done that have been, you know, really enjoyable and stimulating. And, mm. and not just on the day job either. I mean, I, I was involved with uh, Reading University's um, Langdale project with Richard Bradley and Mark Edmonds. Nice. Um, and worked with Newcastle University out in Eastern Turkey as well. So done, all, you know, quite a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I, no, I'll tell you what, um, something more recent that, um, that I'm, I'm really am quite pleased with um, some work we did at Tintagel right. down in Cornwall yeah, recently, yeah. and yeah, it, it's it's about teamwork, of course. So I must say, this is not all my work. This was work I did um, with a number of colleagues, including Susan Greeny from English Heritage, who was property historian covering Tintagel at the time, and. Um, as you probably know, English Heritage have, have put a lot of resource into improving the visitor experience at Tintagel recently. And as part of that, they wanted a survey of the archaeology of the headland and Tintagel Island. And so we went down there to have a look and, and actually the Royal Commission had surveyed Tintagel in the 1980s. Um, so we took that survey down and said, well, really, we don't need to do any more because this, it, we checked it on the ground and it was there, it was all accurate. I mean, that we, we could add a few things. I mean, we could have added one or two um, building platforms, which they'd missed. And there, I mean, there are hundreds of building yeah. platforms there, as you know, mm -hmm. so um, that was hardly a big deal. But sadly, some of the other things we added was more erosion right. and so on, so, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but there wasn't actually much survey work to do. But what we did do is a lot of reinterpretation of the features on the island. And, um, and that was really important. I mean, people think, talk about archeology span and they think about discovering new sites, mm -hmm. which is, in, well, of course it is important, but equally important is reinterpretation of well-known sites. So, 
that's that's what we were able to do at Tintagel, and I, you know, won't go into all of it. But the thing, the thing that really interested me was there are there are three particularly enigmatic features at Tintagel. There's um, and they're all medieval, thirteenth century. Well, the, the 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 dating's not absolutely fixed for most of them, but except for the moment that they're thirteenth century, there's a chapel which right. is not, well, you'd expect there to be a chapel, but it's not actually in the castle, it's outside the castle, and it's sort of perched rather oddly on the edge of the plateau. Mm -hmm. And then there's a walled garden, which is also up on the plateau in a rather exposed location. Mm -hmm. And there's a tunnel. Well, they call it a tunnel, and it is now open at both ends, but I suspect that originally one end was closed in and it was a cave rather right. than a tunnel. Okay. Um, and nobody's ever been able to explain these features, really. Uh, and of course, um, Tintagel is very much associated with the legends of King Arthur yes. in the popular imagination. Mm -hmm. But in fact... Helps somewhat with the giant statue of King Arthur. Well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, is it Merlin that's being yeah, carved? Merlin's yeah, Merlin's face carved, it, or a face <laughs> carved in the rock, which, mm. yeah, might supposed be to be Merlin. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. And the fact that there's a, you know, the hotel on the other side side of the cliffs called the King Arthur Hotel and so on. <laughs> anyway, you know, um, but actually, in if you look at the medieval literature, King Arthur's um, connection with Tintagel is a bit slim. Uh, and the real, the legend that really is connected with Tintagel is, is, is the story of Tristan and Isildur. Okay. which is a, a Cornish legend originally. It later became incorporated in the Arthurian cycle, but originally it is a separate Cornish oh, story. Okay. And what Susan and I noticed was that in if you look at the different versions of the Tristan and Isult story, there are three physical features which crop up time and time again. One of them is a, a garden or an orchard. Right. One of them is an underground chamber, okay. and the other is the chapel on the cliff. There we go. Okay. So we thought, well, hang on, this is staring <laughs> us in the face rather. And actually, we weren't the first people to have noticed this. Peter Rose, back in the well, 80s, had, had written about the, the garden and said, well, could this be the garden or a, a, a recreation of the garden from the Tristan legend? And I th yes, he's absolutely right, but what's more more obvious to me is that the, the this this underground tunnel which is which has been cut with iron tools it's certainly medieval probably 13th century this is the the lover's grotto that Tristan and Isult inhabited and then the chapel on the rocks is the one that really really captures it for me because in 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 various versions of the legend Tristan's is captured by King Mark's soldiers and is being taken back to the castle and they pass the chapel on the cliffs, and Tristan says to his captors, let me go into the chapel to pray. There's only this one door, I can't escape if you guard the door. So being dumb soldiers, <laughs> they believe him, they let him in. He goes into the chapel, he, he, he throws himself through the east window right. and down the cliff and escapes. And there it is, that's the chapel on the cliffs, and it's there, and the east end of the chapel is right on top of the cliff. So, you know, it seems to me that what's happened is that, that Richard, Earl of Cornwall, who built Tintagel Castle in the 1230s, has recreated the landscape of the Tristan Amazing. legend. And this is, this is 
really important in a way because if you look at history, history tells us that Richard of Cornwall wasn't interested in this kind of thing. I mean, his biographer says that Richard was a very he was a very serious man. He was a, he was a he was an important politician on a European scale. He was a probably I mean he was one of the first people you could really call an economist. He he acted as what we would call today Chancellor of the Exchequer. Right. Really, and he you know he was he was a he was a big player in uh, in 13th century politics, and they've always said well he had no interest in literature or art. Well, actually, I think the archaeology of Tintagel shows us that he did <laughs> potentially have an interest in literature and art. And this is, this is where archaeology gets really exciting because it challenges history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the documents tell us one story, but mm -hmm. the archaeology can sometimes tell us something different. So, yeah. That's so I'm great. quite pleased with that. That's a really good one. <laughs> I like that. Fantastic choice. Okay, so the, the next question then is going going from something that it's a really good discovery and a, 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 a good choice, I'd say. Is there a bit of work that you sort of observed that someone else has done that you thought, oh, they've done well there? Or, oh, uh, gosh. Would have, would have loved to have been involved yeah, in that. Well, yes, lots, because, I mean, again, you know, you... you Almost every issue of British archaeology you yeah. open and you read all these amazing <laughs> projects that happening. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be. Yes, so uh, it's difficult. Uh, there's one one thing that I was project that I was thinking about recently actually, which um, I thought was really interesting, and it was um, it's a bit of an odd one in a way, but it's the restoration and excavation work that they did at Windsor Castle after the fire okay. in 1992, which um, several of my colleagues were involved with, um, Brian Kerr and, uh, and people like that. And I just thought that was really interesting because, I mean, I think, I imagine that actually the physical business of sorting through wet, burnt, stuff after a fire is actually pretty unpleasant but they did find a lot of really interesting stuff and again they they were able to elucidate um the story of the building of the castle some of the medieval phases which were previously unknown or not properly understood and realized that some of the surviving fabric of the castle was older than had okay. previously been thought so I mean, I, I think that must have been that must have been quite uh, yeah. There, and there's a few a cases like that, aren't there? At the, at the mm. moment, we're not least thinking of Notre Dame, but well, um, exactly. Yeah, there's the National yeah. Trust property. Yeah. In um, is it Surrey? Um, yeah, I the think name so. escapes me now. But yeah, um, yeah and even the library the... up in Glasgow, mm. is it the art school? The art school. Yeah, in and the, again, yes. it's it's almost a forensic style investigation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's right. I don't think I'd have the patience for it, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm brutally honest. I think um, I'm, yeah. I'm not of that ilk. But, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I don't know. Yes, I mean, it is really painstaking, that kind of work, of course. And as I say, probably quite unpleasant at the time. But mm. I, just, I just thought that was, you know, it, it, it's taking the opportunity, isn't it? Obviously, a fire like that is a real disaster. And it's it's... It's bad news and no one would want it to happen, but it, it's just going in and 
making the most of it and getting something positive out of it, mm, which yeah, I absolutely. think is, yeah. is quite interesting. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, different take on it. Good choice, good choice. Okay, so our final yeah. question, we're, we're nearly finished, but um, the final question is, Derek and I have actually made a working time machine. and uh, oh, everyone that... yes, I heard about this. <laughs> no, don't, don't tell too many people. We don't want to yeah. have a, a, some sort of theft on our hands. No, but, no um, of course not. Yeah. Anyone that takes parts on the podcast gets a free trip on the, the, the or return okay. trip on the the okay. time machine. And all I need to know is where you'd like to go and what you'd like mm. to see. Right. I know when you asked Colin Richards this question, he he kind of wanted to refuse. To <laughs> he it. did. I think you brought him round a bit. <laughs> I, you did, but I, I kind of I'm, I agree. I, I see his point of view mm, because mm. I think the thing about archaeology is it's a it's an intellectual exercise. It's a puzzle mm. to be solved, and it's like if you read a detective story, you don't go to the last chapter and read that first because <laughs> that's cheating. It's true. It's true. And I kind of think there's something similar about a time machine. It, mm. it would be cheating in a way. But having said that, <laughs> I've got that off my chest, <laughs> yeah. okay, so I can play the game. Um, yeah, okay, where would I go? Well, uh, well, I've got a couple of things, but you're only going to allow me one, Well, let's, let's hear them both. I suppose I, you if, know you, where if, we're at, if, if, if I enjoy it on the... On the free ticket, can I then buy a ticket to do my? We haven't worked out costings yet. So that, uh, <laughs> anyway, okay. We can work out okay. some sort of timeshare, or right. yeah. <laughs> right, okay. I'll just I'll just go for my first choice. Then. No, let's say both. Let's say both. Um, right. So what I'd like to do is go back to the middle of the Iron Age. Okay. So around about 500. 400 BC, and then if I can stay there for yeah, yeah. a couple you, of you hundred do, years or yeah, so. Yeah, a bit like when you yeah. the old iPods that you could reel it through quickly and things like that. Yeah, yeah, but that's fine. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so because what I what I want to do uh, because as we you know talked about Maiden Castle earlier, and of course my interest in hill forts has continued, and I've I've done a fair bit of work on hill forts over the years, and so I'm really really interested to see what a hill fort in the middle iron age really would be like okay and in particular there's one there's one thing uh, you know that in the entrances of hill forts there are sometimes these recesses on either side of the entrance which are always called guard chambers and i did some research on these a, a few years ago and i wrote a paper about it and saying well what if we didn't call them guard chambers. What if we think of them in some other way? Even if we call them porter's lodges, mm-hmm. it's, it changes our appreciation of them. But you could even go further than that. And I've, I found some anthropological examples where, um, from West Africa, where, sorry, no, East Africa, where um, similar enclosed settlements had uh, small huts just inside the entrances, and these were spirit huts. Okay. And it was spirits who guarded the entrances. Ah. So I just, you know, I'm just opening the question. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of these things, you know, let's think about these things in a different way. So I'd kind of like to go back and just see how they were really using yeah. these. I think that's a fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, great, great one. Um, let's see your second one then. Go on. Your oh time. well, the second one actually is, is is easily explained because it would be going back to that Tintagel thing, just to go back to the thirteenth century, visit Tintagel. 
see if, and see if they really yeah. were yeah. recreating yeah, the legend of nice Tristan too. and his and it, But again, you don't, you know, know, with, on with, the head. with the Colin comment, I fear Colin's ruined the time machine. That's classic, <laughs> classic Colin, that is. But um, <laughs> the Colin, you don't have to tell anyone. You can just know oh, secretly uh, yeah, and smugly. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Oh, I got that right. Yeah, or yeah. more likely, oh, man. Oh, what well, was uh, I yeah. thinking? <laughs> no, <laughs> I was completely wrong. <laughs> oh, well, I won't, I won't tell you. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for your time. Well, um, thank, thank you, Lawrence. It's, it's been a pleasure. Excellent. <laughs>
uh, it's a medieval love romance, but actually um, it's based on a Celtic legend, so it goes okay. far, back. far back. Yeah, mm. and obviously, as you can imagine, with legends that old, many authors retell the story uh, differently, yeah, and yeah. Um, even to the point where there's a, a German version of, or not a German version, but a, a German um, legend mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or I say legend, it's, it's an adaptation or version. Um, so it obviously is quite um, a far-reaching yeah. legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And it's based on, um, well, two lovers, obviously, Tristan and Isolde. Isolde yeah. um, and basically it centres around Tristan who ventures to Ireland um, to ask for the hand of the princess um, Isolde mm-hmm. um, on behalf of his uncle, King Mark of Cornwall. Oh, right. Um, Marco. Um, But then Tristan and Isolde fall in love drinking um, a love potion that Ah. was prepared by the Queen for her daughter and King Mark rather than her daughter and Tristan. So you can imagine troubles brewing. That's what happens when you leave love potions kicking over out. (laughs) What was she thinking? Especially if the bottle isn't labelled properly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so... (laughs) Um, basically, that's in a nutshell. Okay, yeah. okay. Oh, I'll have to look that up. But um, mm. I love this idea of, I mean, it, it's archaeology because it's old. Yes. But this idea of recreating uh, a legend or mm. a, a, a... And working with a site or on a site that is of that much importance in the sense that, you know, obviously Tintacho is of like yeah, a, a site of national pride, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And then um working yeah, with um a monument like this and then there's an association to a legend as well, which is deeply embedded in yeah. sort of British or European culture. Mm. It's quite um interesting. Really interesting. Um and also, yeah, like you said, when um history comes alive doesn't it in a, mm. on a site like that yeah very much so I, I was trying to think of comparative modern day things where there's a style or a story or something that we we are recreating that mm-hmm. people might identify in yeah. 500 1000 years time 1500 years time mm-hmm. um I think the closest thing I can come across is like a chap in Wiltshire that's remade a Neolithic long barrow. Oh, okay. And he's actually placing modern-day cremations in this long barrow. Oh, wow. Um, so this idea that archaeologists in 1,500 years' time will come across this and go, oh, wow, well, they were just recreating something that took yeah. place 5,000 years ago or something okay. like that. Oh, that's fascinating, or, what this chap's doing. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I, I wondered about Legoland. Yeah. Because you've got like Lego Stonehenge, Lego Pyramids, and mm. um, that, that gets buried. Yeah. It survives because it's all plastic and we're in the plastic <laughs> age. And someone takes it up and they're recreating the legend of Stonehenge. Yeah. A brilliant interview from Mark overall. Mm-hmm. He's, he's such a, I think you said, very honest. Yeah, his, I really, his. I really liked his honesty throughout, whether it was about jobs about sometimes having feelings of you know not being quite sure whether Mm. you know where things are going to lead um to having had great mentors um and support um and you know all the way to also just um being able to say yeah i worked on this project and it was cool and i'm proud of it because a lot of people are a bit like oh i'm not sure i can promote Mm. i'm I'm always reflecting negatively on my work but Mm. actually 
it's nice. It's a bit refreshing to have. Yeah. Someone. Actually, you know, it, it's been a team effort. I'm not going to take sole glory, but actually, all the work that we did. There's a few things I'm proud of. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good. And so, something Mark didn't mention there is that uh, the reason I know him is because mm-hmm. I'm part of the committee of the Landscape Survey Group, mm-hmm. um, which is a voluntary. Um, group, interest group that Mark, along with other people such as An- Angela Gannon mm-hmm. at Historic England, who's part of their su- survey team, looked to establish to make sure people are still thinking about approaches to archaeological survey and perhaps mm-hmm. make sure things like hash drawings, which Mark touched on the role of technology and it's yeah, completely changing yeah, the way yeah. we map and record sites, but making sure there's still a stronghold for traditional survey techniques and mm-hmm. uh, not thinking them necessarily as specialist or half yeah. back to the past too much, but actually identifying that they still have a role and a purpose mm-hmm. within archaeology and um, they've been great mentors for a number of different people and... Um, We've actually got an AGM coming up, and I'd recommend people having a look. We're looking for new committee members to join the Landscape Survey Group. So anyone that's interested in landscapes, anyone that's interested in mapping and recording, can be all varieties of purposes from from LiDAR and my approaches with iPads and tablet devices to Mm. Mark's and Angela's approaches to recording with traditional... typical mapping skills and detailed yeah. mapping skills uh, we're quite a broad church but we've got over 100 members and that's cool the, yeah the, uh, the meetings we have a conference once a year in september mm-hmm. and we have an agm in around this time february time march time each year and um as i say we're looking for two or three new members um committee members mm-hmm. um <laughs> I am the media <laughs> media guy, but I'm not sure I'm particularly good at that. But uh, <laughs> so I apologise for the website. That's all my own fault. But um, it, it, I, hands down, it's the best group I am a part of. Mm. We, I go. We had the conferences on a Friday and a Saturday, and we went to um, Thetford this this year. Just gone September. Just gone, mm-hmm. and I just spent the whole time smiling it's the nicest people I learnt loads Lovely. it was a sunny yeah. weekend and we just you go yomping off around landscapes that mm. you wouldn't perhaps visit otherwise and you get Super. experts talking to you about it yeah. went to Grimes Grave have you ever been to Grimes no, Grave no no it's so cool <laughs> and we were, Dave Fields who surveyed this whole site and did this beautiful hasher drawing gave us his expert tour and then we went awesome. down inside these Neolithic flint mines amazing brilliant um, that sounds like the conference of dreams. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a very happy person when I'm there. So everyone, I recommend everyone checks out the Landscape Survey Group. <laughs> that said, Anna, thank you so much for uh, no, thank you for joining us for this as a guest co-host. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you got coming up? You, you mentioned. You've got your book nominated for this award. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's obviously something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be by the end of February, I think, mm-hmm. when nominations close. Okay. Uh, not uh, voting closes. And they sorry. can go on the website for that. Um, yeah. So you can go on the uh, current archaeology website. And there's there's loads of other ones like archaeologists yeah. of the year. So we had Richard Osgood, who's the reigning archaeologist of the year, mm, a few yeah. weeks back. And so there's plenty of awards and. Um, Lots of great people and, mm-hmm. you know, great projects and great books are nominated. Yeah, so. so it's just worth looking at to get an idea of different things that are definitely, going on. Yeah, definitely. Very much yeah. a career in ruins type thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, check it out. And if you're inclined, vote for Anna's book. It's brilliant. What's it called thank again? You, thank you. Uh, it's called Life and Death in the Countryside of Roman Britain. Awesome. And it's volume three of the Roman Rural Settlement Project publication. Oh, that's so. a mouthful. Okay. <laughs> and and are you, what are you looking at? 
post stocks at the moment? Uh, yeah, yeah. So shopping around, oh, not shopping around really, but <laughs> <laughs> keeping uh, your eyes peeled. Yeah, and just making my mind up and Got you know, a few project ideas on the go. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So obviously they just need tapering down and you know solidifying. And oh. yeah, so oh, I'm sure it will come to something. Yeah, plowing on. Yeah. Excellent. Anna, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, thank you for joining us for the Career Ruins podcast this week. Do check us out on social medias. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we are on Facebook. We do have a Patreon account. If you fancy chucking us a bit of cash towards funding these, we'd very much appreciate it. And um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, I expect, with Derek and, uh, and a few other interviews. So cheers, everyone. <laughs>